Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is going to ask the boss for a 20% pay rise. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by the Managing Director, the Founder, yep, and the Chief, chief Cook Bottle Washer of <laughs> Strawman.com, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? Jack of all trades. Yeah, I'm very good, my, um, <laughs> my friend. How, how about yourself? I mate, I'm very, very well. You're going to say master of none after that, or are you going to leave that for me to say? I, I almost did, and then thought, <laughs> well, well, yeah. can't be too self-deprecating. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the boss around here. God damn it! <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's probably apt. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, mate, it's all, all of us are in exactly the same boat. Did you see? Uh, so, recording this on Thursday, the fourth of November. Let's date snap it up front. Did you see in today's paper, mate, that apparently there are twenty percent pay rises going around? So, just to fill the audience in, as we were speaking off air, I'm having internet issues this morning. And <laughs> you are. <laughs> so, I'm fighting with one arm behind my back, but oh. to tell you what, you just, when it's gone, how, it, it's like not having electricity these days. It's such a, a <laughs> vital right. human need, I would argue. So, so to answer your question, no, I've missed <laughs> everything so far this morning. Can, can you fill me in? I will say too, just for listeners, by the way, we're recording this locally in our own little dev- devices and talking over the phone. Uh, so, uh, Andrew's reception isn't great either on the phone. So if things go a bit messy or I have to ask him to repeat stuff, that's also why. Now, here's the, here's the AFR article. The headline mm-hmm. is, salaries jump 20% plus to lure skilled execs. And here's the, here's the, first, the, first, the okay. first line. Companies are offering 20% plus pay rises to snap up investment bankers, lawyers, marketing executives, accountants, construction managers, and sustainability and risk specialists amid a professional skills shortage that is spreading far beyond the IT sector. That is interesting. So I definitely knew that there was there were those uh, issues in in the in IT. Yeah. Is yeah. this related? Is this related to border closures and that kind of stuff? Was there previously a big pool of talent we were drawing upon from overseas, or is it something else? Do you know what? I, I, that's the thing. No one actually knows, right? So this is where this is where people like us get to prognosticate and guess with that, with no fear of being contradicted because no one's got the data, so they couldn't tell you either way. But yeah, that, look, it's it's a you know it's a, apparently. A real thing, uh, and they've quoted quite a few different um, recruitment execs, basically all saying the same kind of story. Um, you know, uh, uh, just picking a random sentence here: pay rises could be as high as twenty-five percent for candidates with highly specialised skills in tech, finance, and accounting who landed a promotion when moving from one business to another. Said one particular uh, recruitment wow. guru. Um, mm. Just yeah, f- phenomenal, well- phenomenal increases. Well, it is a phenomenal increase. And I know it's sort of like, I think I say to you every week, it's like, oh man, we, we talk about inflation all the time, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just keeps coming up in the news. Well, that's, and that's why, and, right? And like it's each new week is a new bit of data or a new, a new data point to kind of say, hey, you got to at least, at least be mindful of the possibility. Well, and, and in the early stages of this sort of concern, it was, well, it's probably a short-term thing related to these supply issues, the logistic yeah. chain yeah. constraints, and, and a lot of boffins sort of saying, until we sort of see um, uh, wages inflation, pressure yeah. on that front, it's yep. not something to worry about. And then I wake up this morning and you tell me that uh, well, at, least, <laughs> at least the white collar, some of the, the white collar areas are, are getting a 20% pay rise. Is that, am I wrong to draw a, draw a line between those? To? I don't think so, Matt. Can I, can I share something with you, though? I, mm-hmm. Each to their own, and good luck to people who do this, and I don't want this job. Here, can, can I just read this sentence to you? Okay. A mergers and, uh, it says M&A, but I'll, I'll, I'll expand it out for our listeners. A mergers and acquisition banker at managing director level on a package of between 1.2 and 1.3 million 
could expect to see their total pay boosted by between 20 and 30% to more than $1.5 million. Executive obs- search specialist Jason Johnson said. Obscene. <laughs> Isn't that obscene? Oh, $1.5 million to, to basically convince some companies that most M&A, by the way, doesn't work out very well. <laughs> you get paid a million and a half bucks to convince people to do it. It's a, I mean, oh, it's but look, but let, let's also be honest. If you're in that space, you never utter those words that it really <laughs> works out well. I mean, your, your <laughs> job is to make this deal happen so you can oh, get some sweet, mate. sweet commission. You don't, you don't ever say that this is a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, any M&A consultants out there, feel free to email me and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, and, I suspect and, and you, and it's never asked. <laughs> well, it, well, there's a couple of things there. One, never ask the barber if you need a haircut is that wonderful Amen. saying, which, which, which I love because you know, yep. the answer is, is always yes. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and the other thing is as well, I, I would argue that there is, that you do get to a point where it, if you're not, if you're not taking a job at one point two million dollars, it's it's there are probably other factors at play. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You sort of get to you get to a point, and it's where I find the whole thing. I'm saying one of my favourite sort of ways of thinking about this actually comes from America, where where it is incredibly um, insane over there. But Ben and Jerry's, the uh, ice cream mm. makers, have this really cool rule in their organisation that that no one can get paid. The, the the top rate of pay within the company is set at twenty times the lowest rate of pay. So you've got, I don't know, whatever, the janitor or something in there, whatever they're on, you know, um, the the CEO can never get 20 times more than that. That's still a lot more. I was going to say, mate, that's that's also, I mean, when you say only 20 times, I'm like... Hang on, I've always do the maths in my head. That's still a truckload of cash, but I guess it's it's a lot fairer well, than, than everywhere else, right? That's the point. Yeah, that's right. If someone if someone was on uh, what is it, fifty grand, then then you could get a million dollars. Now that yeah, it does, yeah. you're right. It's it's still a lot, but then you yeah, look at yeah. some of the executive packages. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It just gets it gets really really crazy. So. Really uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's sort of neither here nor there. The argument, of course, is that that well, we just need talent, and if we don't pay market rates, we we won't get them. Yeah. The, the trouble as it is is uh, what's what's Buffett's um, remuneration consultancy called? Um, ratchet, yeah. ratchet, and bingo. Ratchet, <laughs> ratchet, and. It's a, such a good thing because the trouble is, is that is a bit of maths here, but it, it's it's basically you'll come in and you'll say, well, the average rate of pay for your job is mm. is X. Now, by definition, almost half of the people will be below that. So you've always got half of the market. You can say, hey, you're below the average, which yeah, puts them up, right. which which lifts the average up, and it Correct. ratchets and it Correct. ratchets and it ratchets up, and it just sort of it it gets it gets a little bit silly to my mind. Um, but look, I, I also I'm also having experienced this as a business owner. I do know the value in paying up for good talent. I, I have yeah. learned the hard way that it is it is much better to pay, uh, you know, three, four times market rates to get someone who's exceptionally good because they'll probably do it in one tenth of the time. They'll do it. They'll do it <laughs> right the first time. You know, and it ends yeah. up actually being cheaper than the person who's super cheap but just makes a big mess of it and takes four hundred times as long to do it. So mm. it's it's complicated as as it we is. like to say in this it game. Is. But but yeah, I, I can understand. You know, most people, I assume myself included, but people listening would sort of look at these sort of salaries and think mm-hmm. that's that's a little bit rich. Man, we've gone way, way off target, mate, but I'm, I'm loving the conversation. It's Remuneration is a funny one. It's one of those things that is both obscene and also probably, I'm going to argue, not because not I'm going to defend anybody earning that sort of money, they don't deserve it, but um, I've got to say, I find the remuneration conversations that investors have and the media has far more about the soap opera than the actual investing. 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. Can I, can I say that? Like, you know, I'd say, no, it's true. Do, do I think do I think Garcia deserves a million dollars? No. Do they deserve five million dollars? No. Do they deserve twenty million dollars? Absolutely not. Mm. But if you pay the Macquarie Bank CEO twenty million dollars or a million dollars, you're not going to even notice it on the financials because there's going to be a rounding error anyway. Mm. And I, I, you know, for all of the effort spent it on, you know, is, is it kind of a is it a is it kind of just a, a, a and people are already ranting at the podcast machines now as we talk, but or as I talk, but there's a, just I just the obsession with it is just strikes me as a little bit silly. There's definitely a conversation about income inequality we can have, and we should. It's all that sort of stuff. But from an investing perspective particularly, I find it driven by kind of, you know, the, the general kind of distaste or envy or whatever it is. It's just, it's just like completely, completely irrelevant for most people, most of the time for most companies when they're investing. It just doesn't matter. And again, mm. not to say we shouldn't fix it on a social level. That's a whole different conversation. But from an investing perspective, I just find the attention paid on it, frankly, mate, really, really, really silly. I, I, I actually no, you're not. I mean, I, I think this this is true in a broader sense as well. I think when it comes to investing, perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah, I think right. I, I can pick you my most favorite high conviction company, and I will tell mm. you, there's there's hairs on it, right? There are things yeah. that I don't like about it, and and for when you when you wait for everything to align perfectly, mm-hmm. the, the, the the reality is is you just miss out on everything. Um, yeah. you know that there's 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 just always something not to like. So you 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 do have to be pragmatic with these things. Yeah. And and try not to be too ideological with with, with because the, the reality is is that if if you're going to avoid we'll take your example with with uh, executive remuneration if you're going to mm-hmm. avoid a company on that basis well unfortunately you're going to miss out on almost everything because there's yeah. there's really a small handful of companies that do it right um, yeah. can I give you one example on the Aussie please market do, do. Um, I don't know if a, a lot of people may have heard of this more as a consumer than an investor but if anyone out there is into their four wheel driving there's this wonderful company called ARB Corporation mm-hmm. They make uh, accessories for four-wheel drives, uh, bull bars, trays, a whole range of different things, and they're, mm-hmm. they're run are founded by the Brown Brothers. And there's so, I don't forget what it is, but it's it's pretty. It's like a hundred grand or something a year, which at their level is. Yeah. I've got need. I need to look this up again because it's, maybe it's gone up a little <laughs> bit, but it's very, 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 very low. Um, and same with Buffett, right? But the difference yeah, is, is yeah. that they've got, a, you know, a butt ton of shares. And so they're very much aligned. They do very well. Thank you very much. But it's, right, that's, right. that for me is, 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 is probably the way I prefer to look at it. I actually don't mind if uh, a CEO or senior executives get squillions of dollars, but I, I like it when they get that for making me and shareholders wealthy. When yeah. you just get it just for turning up, that's where I find it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you could, you could drive this thing into yeah. the ground and you're still walking away with your $10 million salary each year. That's yeah, that's where yeah. I find it. That's what kind of annoys me. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Mate, you make a really good point. I, I should disclose I own ARB shares, by the way. And I, I think- Oh, nicely I think done. Yeah, I have for a little while. I, um, it's one of those situations where I think you- I, By the way, I've spent, I've spent more money in the ARB store than I have on ARB shares just quietly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have, I've not even gone close to make my money back on that yet. Um it's it's. Uh, I think that, that you're right about. It. So the incentives are very very different to the, to the actual just dollar value, right? And again, like for those yeah. people who are listening, I'm not saying that people deserve to be paid squillions of dollars. Like it's, it's, there's no there's no social there's no whatever you know reason they should be. Right? That's that's that that's a different question. I'm not I'm not defending the you know obscene amounts of money people are paid compared to average people. It's just silly. But but I just I don't you know I don't, if if my CEO is paid one or ten or twenty million dollars it just doesn't matter for the business's bottom line it's not relevant but as you say the the incentivization piece is super super powerful and that's a whole different thing to my mind um, but I got to say mate if you get paid a million dollars turn up and and do a terrible job or twenty million dollars turn up do a terrible job it's still kind of the same problem and I think mm. that that's almost it's almost the 
again, it's not so much the dollar value, but it's the way remuneration is constructed that I think you're getting at, which I completely agree with, right? Yes. Whether you're getting paid a dollar, a hundred thousand dollars, or a million dollars a year to be a CEO, you can do just an equally great or terrible job. Maybe you try mm. a little bit hard if you need to keep your job. Maybe there's that, but I doubt it. Because mm. the other thing is, these people aren't idiots, right? They're not. It's not. It's a gravy train, but it's not a gravy train for for lazy idiots. These people work mm. bloody hard. They might still screw it up. But mm. no one's no one's taking the Mickey. They're actually, you know, they, they all want to do a good job. They're driven by ego as much as anything, and and the money's a nice status symbol for them, I'm sure as well. But as you say, that incentive of like, hey, how much do I care? How much do I deeply care about this? And the long term outcomes. And I think, you know, I always, always, and we look the Brown Brothers for all I know, care can be paid you know, ten times as much. I'm ARB shareholder. I'm happy to say that. Mm. Um, but as you say, that the the key one, David Dicker at Dickadad, another one. Um, yes, yeah, you know, plenty of others. I think in this in this situation, it's one of those cases where, yeah, they actually do, you know, deserve the money. But more importantly, if the company does well as a business, you know, if if it's worth more at some point in time, it's worth more. I, can I can I make a quick? Again, I like to go both ways here because the other thing is I do worry a little bit about incentives for the reverse reason, mate. Not which yet. is that if well, if your if your bonus is being paid even in shares, then you're kind of incentivized to do whatever you can to get the share price up in the short term, right? And I'm not. I'm not even entirely sure. Like, if I was going to design a, you know, the total shareholder return TSR is one that people use, right? And if your TSR is in the top third of your category, then you get a bonus or whatever it is. In other mm. words, the CEO is incentivized to get the share price up through the roof, better than the other guys, so he gets or she gets a bonus. And conceptually, that's right. Except if that's what you're getting paid for, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to go and speak to every fund manager in the country. You're going to talk your shares up. You're going to put out hyper-promotional press releases. You're going to pull forward sales. You're going to, you know, jeopardise the long-term in, in favour of the short-term because, hey, if I can get my million dollars in cash or shares today, I can sell them next year whether I'm in the business or not. Um, and so you, the, the fact those shares aren't escrowed for any length of time, I, I'm, I'm actually not a massive fan of most incentive schemes, mate, because I actually think most of them, even even with the best of intentions, most of them are pretty screwy. They, they, they incentivise the wrong things. I would happily say... If your, your total shareholder return over the next 10 years is X, I will give you, you know, a very large amount of money in, te- in that, you know, in year 10 for that result. But I'm not going to give you a million dollars now based on the fact you managed to convince a, a, a bunch of fund managers and investors to pay more for your shares because you put out a nice press release saying you're getting into Bitcoin and iron ore mining and graphene and lithium and, you know, <laughs> and marijuana. And so look at my share price. Yes. That, that's, that's the issue I do have. Yes, but then I mean it's another. This is I think it's a Charlie Mungerism, but it's show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Right, right. And that has become a mental model or a way of thinking for me that just goes so far beyond um, investing because it, it's yeah. so it's a law of the universe. It is it so really is. true. So, so I agree with I agree with you. But that that I would argue is a question of of the of the structure of those remuneration plans. So, That's right. I actually agree. Yep. Yep, yep, you know, so if so, you're right. If if you're if you're if you're going to get a bunch of performance rights or something like that because the share price hits a certain target, that's that again. Yep. It's got, you, you you will drive the incentive to do all of that bad behaviour. Mm-hmm. If, however, you're basically saying we need you to see a per share earnings uh, hurdle over this over the next mm-hmm. three years, and then you have to wait another two years before you can. I mean, I'm just sort of shooting from the hip yeah, here, totally, but, totally. but but there are other structures which basically say, well. 
well, I can't do a bunch of acquisitions. That'll drive my profits in that high, but maybe not on a per share basis. So I'm going to be much smarter about my capital allocation decision. Also, it's yeah. now it's now being measured over a time frame that is that is more meaningful and realistic. Yep. And even yep. once achieved, I still need to have structures in place to make sure the company continues. So it just and this and you mentioned Dicadata, you mentioned ARB and and the others. I don't think. Look, I've got no, I've done no statistical analysis on this, but mm. I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the <laughs> companies that have the best alignment have also delivered insanely well for shareholders. ARB and Dicadata, yeah, totally. to mention, that, that both of those companies have done so well. And I, I, you know, it's not just because of the way that they've structured things, but I bet you it helps. And I, and I just, I think it, I think it, it really puts the focus where it needs to be. Um, now, obviously, let's let's be practical for a second. We, we're not going to influence this as private investors, but yeah. it is That's right. it is something when you're sort of going through your checklist and you're sort of looking at all the various things before making an investment in a company. When I see things like that, it is a very strong uh, uh, tick in the in the pro column. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. I won't invest on that basis alone. I won't invest on any base on one, any single one basis alone. But it, it definitely mm-hmm. tips the scales in 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 my favour. I, I firmly believe, and anecdotally at least, that it seems to be really well supported by by history. I think that's true, mate. I, 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 this, I, I, this is not on the agenda at all, but it's a fun conversation. It's a worthwhile conversation. A couple of things. I, I I think that's true, but I actually wonder whether that in the case of the examples you used and many others is actually correlation rather than causation in one particular way, which mm-hmm. is specifically to say those are founder CEOs. And that goes yeah. back to another favourite of ours. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, is, is it about the incentives? I doubt it, actually. I think, you know, in the case of David Dicker, who's been running the business with his ex-wife for 30 years almost, the, the Browns have been in charge of ARB for, I want to say, 40-something years. Long time. Um, mm. that, you know, it, it, is, it is no surprise. And what, you know, you're my, one of, you're my favourite ways to buy is to buy founder-run yeah. companies because they just yeah. tend to be better businesses for a whole lot of reasons. They actually can be younger and smaller, which actually we've talked about before that helps. Um, yeah. If you're a founder, you're going to make long-term decisions because you care about the business. You want the business to, to succeed far mm. more than you actually care about the share price or, or, or the mm. stuff that, you know, you're, you're otherwise kind of incentivized to care about when you're running the business. You're not a professional manager. You don't probably care what the fund managers say. Um, I'll, I'll throw another example in Jeff Bezos at Amazon. I, I'm an Amazon shareholder, massive fan of the business. Um, so, you know, full, full, full disclosure. But well, you, Anyone um, who listens to this podcast knows that, mate. Right, but I think, I think the point is like he's, he said he said like you know his his very first shout letter was hey don't expect anything in the short term. Um, he said somewhere I don't think it was in that letter, but basically when he was looking for new directors, he said if you want to be a director in our company and you come and talk about today's earnings or next year's profits, then don't come. I don't, I don't want you in my company. I want yep. someone who's going to say yeah, but what's this going to do for the customer in ten years time? Yeah, and it's you know it's it's the approach you take to that sort of stuff. Mm. That makes a huge difference. And there is absolutely no surprise that he's done remarkably well. But again, I'm not a shareholder of Apple. I'm not a shareholder of Tesla. But both those cases, again, same kind of idea, right? The Steve Jobs, Mm. Elon Musk. um, Now, you know, the the death or glory, some of those are high wire efforts. But Mm. they, you know, it's a remarkable, remarkable story. And I think there's, there's just some, there's just some, you know, value remembering that, that founder owners are far more than anything else. I mean, that's almost the point, right? You're, you're not measuring the incentives. Mm. If the incentive actually, the fundamental incentive isn't even the money or the bonus or even the share price, it's just, I'm here trying to build something that I'm proud of. Mm. That, that is probably the strongest incentive at all. of all, I would suggest, if you can find someone who's doing that, doesn't mean they'll always be successful, but gee, they've got a bloody good chance of doing well. And if they start doing well, you can reasonably assume most of the time they're at least doing it for the right reasons, 
with the right right perspective, right? And it, and it's that yep. second, third generation of managers, not necessarily of the family, but you know, I mean, the, you know, by the time you get a couple of professional managers in a row, it gets further and further away. We talked about Blackmores last year. Marcus mm. Blackmore's largely persona non grata at Blackmores these days. We'll see how that that pans out. But mm. um, you know, it, it's it's very much a story of. If you if you can find a founder running a good business, um, it's it's a pretty good sign, right? I and mean, we can actually sidestep most of the rest of this stuff. Yeah, I, I read a I read something last week about this. Is so what what professional executives will tend to do is they they're very good at optimizing. So we're, we've got a product, we've got a service, <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll you know and a, and a, and a, and and a good CEO will sort of like really optimize that, you know. So mm-hmm. Dell made computers. Let's just really do that really well. Yeah, and then but a founder thinks a bit outside the box, where it's just sort of like you you because it's yours and you can kind of go in the direction that you want. You can kind of mm-hmm. sort of. Often, often to optimize uh, your long-term success, you have to take step backwards. You might find yourself on a hill and you're climbing up that hill and it's a good hill to climb. But if you keep optimizing for that, you get to a local maximum, to use a mathematical term, which might actually be well below another hill that might be a little bit further off in the distance but behind the fog. Sometimes it's actually worth stepping backwards. And I think founders who have a bit of a vision and a very clear idea of what they want to do, they they often mm. look at all the great things and great products and great companies. A lot of the time in the early stages, mm. they're actually like a bit wacky and wild. And then it's only when they start to really get get, get serious that people sort of recognise the, the genius that's sort of behind it. But it, it, at mm. the time and in the early stages, it looks ridiculous. And I think that's mm. the other benefit. But look, we, we, we've waxed lyrical enough about this, but I, I would just sort of say, I think I, I largely agree with everything you're saying. It's just a single data point but when you're going through a holistic we're trying to form a holistic view and you know there's a whole bunch of different things i look at i'll look at sales traction i'll look at the strength of the balance sheet blah 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 blah. but this Mm. is just one of those things that i think as an investor have a look at uh, who's running the company have a look at their incentives you know, yeah. how is that structured interestingly enough the remuneration report of an annual report tends to be a lot longer than everything else these days because again ratchet ratchet and bingo have sort of gotten involved in <laughs> in in things and it's like really sort of laid out but but have a read of it very few investors do and if you know you know, a, I don't want to name names. The company that I, I, I follow re- uh, um, issued some options, very, very generous in terms of their quantum. But the share price had to double before they got them, and if it and, and yeah. if it and, and over a certain time frame, let me sort of say there as well as a long. But it just what it says in and of itself is, it's like the boards don't set things that they think are uh, completely unachievable. Because if they felt mm. that, the executives would say, "Well, just you're basically not giving me anything that's achievable here. I'm not getting. Right, right, there's right. no bonus." So, again, as a single data point, do you? make an investment on that no but when 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 you do see things like that and it is something mm. to worth worth checking when you make an investment it's a big fat tick and and hopefully you get a few more other ticks on the positive side of the ledger and it's just pay attention to it people because it i think it i think it's i think it's something to worth uh fa- focusing on but to your point scott don't if, if there is a cross in that if there's a lot of other positives you might still want to invest in it as well just take that holistic view yeah, I just I, I I struggle with share price based on something. I just I feel like this, you know, Buffett famously incentivizes his managers based on things they can control. He said before, you know, if he's, if he's got a guy running the oil, an oil company, he's not gonna he's not gonna incentivize him based on profit. If the oil price happens to go up, he's not gonna get a profit oh yeah, that's silly because the oil, yeah. it's 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 actually on the controllables. And I think that's you know, if I, if I was running if I was running a business and I was I was a chair or a board a board member, I think I'd probably say look, return on incremental invested capital is probably where mm. I'd go honestly because yeah. you know what you can you, if you want to. Uh, increase earnings per share you can do it really easily by borrowing an absolute truckload of money 
and and doing it that way, right? If you if you if you're trying mm. to you know do, return, improve return on equity, you do the same thing because yeah. you know you keep the equity down, you borrow a whole lot of cash debt instead. There are really clever ways that, that clever CEOs can screw mm. with things um, in exactly this sort of way, and I think that's where I'm a little bit a little bit mindful. I, I would go on some sort of internal metric that really gets to the heart of what it means. You know, we look. We you know, I've talked before about things like return on equity. If they're things mm. as investors, we look at. We should want our want our our executives, in my opinion, at least, um, incentivising the same kind of thing, right? Yep. Yep. One hundred percent agree. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, mate, Tom. Let's let's talk a little macro for a second. The this has been a big week, and there are big weeks, and there are big weeks. Um, now, I, I don't think it's necessarily as big as some of the talking heads do because we're not super fixated on things like fixed interests or the, the machinations of, uh, or machinations, depending on which way I want to pronounce it, of, uh, of central bankers and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But the RBA this week kept rates on hold, surprising absolutely nobody. Mm. But they basically waved the white flag on the three-year bond rate. So for those who haven't been paying attention, or if you're not, I don't blame you, um, the RBA has always controlled the variable interest rates. We know that. Uh, what they had done relatively recently, at least through COVID, is basically act in the market and the bond market to buy and sell bonds to keep the three-year bond rate down as low as the current variable rate, which was 0.1%. And the RBA is basically saying, hey, you know what? Borrow money today, it's going to be cheap. And by the way, we're going to make sure if you're borrowing on a fixed term or if you want some sort of stability of outlook as a business out three years, we're going to keep that rate down as well. They call it flattening the yield curve. If you've heard that phrase, that's what they're kind of talking about here. Uh, that had been the case for the last, I guess, almost 18 months now. They pretty much, well, they did officially just give up on that. They said, we're no longer going to try and keep the three-year bond rate down. And that was the first shot, really, really clearly, the first shot in this interest rate increase cycle. So when you're thinking about will they or won't they, we don't know, and we'll talk about that in a second, but this is the first move they're making to allow longer-term interest rates to start to increase. And that's... You know, the market was already betting on it, so the RBA is kind of just basically caving into that pressure, but they could have done something should they have chosen to. They simply said, no, we're done. We're discontinuing that particular program, and this is the first one. Now, at the same time, though, they did say really clearly, Governor Lowe said very clearly, but you guys who reckon rates are going to go up sooner rather than later, you're also wrong. So the RBA has long said 2023, 2024 is the time. The RBA is saying to to those in the market, hey... That's still our time frame, even though things are changing, and we've talk, we'll talk about inflation as well in a second. But um, even though things are changing, we still reckon it's that far out. So this it, it, it's an interesting kind of time. This is this is the first move from the RBA towards higher rates. They are flagging that now. They have said they're waiting until rates. Oh, sorry, they're waiting until inflation starts to pick up, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that in a second. But it's just an interesting move, mate. I can't go past saying this. Is why I want to raise this particularly now. I, well, actually, before I make my view, do you have a do you have a view on fixed versus variable rates for those people out there with a mortgage? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we might have touched on this in a previous episode. Yeah. I, I I think that um, my recollection is is when there was a, a bit of analysis done on this. It might have been a few years ago that over the long term, it's been better. Maybe that's just how it has turned out to be, and maybe mm. that doesn't. The future doesn't. The past doesn't guarantee <laughs> the future. But it has. Mm. It has historically, my understanding is, been better to go with variable. The great thing about fixed is it's just is certainty. Um, but but there's generally a cost in in, in getting that certainty. Um, that's true. Uh, but I, I mean, look, I I don't know. It, I think I think there's a lot <laughs> to be said for it. Um, I would have been very tempted to take out fixed rates. Not 
long ago when when things mm. were super low, just for that one hundred percent certainty, and, um, and given that variable rates were already so super, you know, everything was so super low anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have a strong view on that one? I do actually, mate. Unusually for me, yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, I'm, 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 no, actually, actually <laughs> funnily enough, I actually meant that seriously this time. Um, <laughs> I, I'm normally pretty sanguine because generally speaking, you're betting against the bank or the bond market, and if you're taking fixed, you're kind of assuming that the the bond market, you know, you know better than the bond market, right? And generally speaking, the banks are only going to give you stuff that's in their favour. But there's two things going on. The first is that the fixed versus variable is not necessarily a bet between you and the bank on which way rates are going to move. That's always been kind of the assumption. The reality is I've just talked about the fixed rates in the bond market. Um, the banks are just trying to match up their, what they call matching the maturities, right? So if they can borrow from the wholesale markets at a certain price, and they know they can, they're happy to lend to you at that price plus a bit to make their margin. They don't really care what that amount is, right? So you know they just, they just want to make their their little bit of you know, little bit of margin on the difference between those two numbers. And so a lot of people think, oh yeah, the bank's saying, well, hang on, the rate's going to be up, so do this, and I'll make some money when it goes the other way. They're very very rarely making those kind of active bets in the market. They're just literally trying to match up their borrowing and their lending. That's all they're trying to yeah. do. Yeah. But right now, in particular. Here's the thing. You can fix for probably under 2% still. Maybe you're going to have to pay two points something because it has started to move already. But here's what I just reckon. Look, 2% is so low, so stupidly low. And you're paying maybe 25 2.7% variable right now. You're, gonna, you're getting a benefit. The, rate, rates would, the, the variable rate would have to – sorry, the fixed rate would have to go up meaningfully or the variable rate would have to go down meaningfully for that to equalize at any point in that, mm. in that sort of three- or five-year term. So if I, if I could lock in 2% now for the next three to five years – versus taking two or two and uh, sorry two and a half or two point seven five now, hoping the variable might possibly fall below two over the next five years. It's just bloody unlikely. Like it's really, really unlikely. So I don't know the answer. And the problem with any of these predictions is once you start to do it, you can be wrong in either way for either reason, right? And so that's you know, you always feel like it's a winner and loser. If you stay with variable, you never make the call. So you never really feel like you lose or you win. Once you make the call to say, right, I'm putting a line in the sand, I'm making this call to either do it or not do it, then you start to think, oh man, I should have done this, I should have done that. But I'm, I, I just piece up what I reckon. I reckon that it's very unlikely variable rates fall below fixed over, say, a three-year period, firstly. Secondly, even if it does, if it takes two years, then two-thirds of your loan term has been at 2%. <laughs> I just, I, I really don't see, um, well, I, I, just, I, I just don't, I don't see a reason not to, it's just so cheap, I think the odds, the odds are very much in favour of fixing at two-ish percent right now is, is my, my gut feel. And just and just back to what I said before. To e- either way, you've got that certainty, so you know exactly. that it's, exactly. it's you're, you're, there's everything you said is, is probably true. But it's always also I know that no matter what happens, that this is this is sort of locked in, and there's there's yep. value yep. in that. Can I go back to a point you said before? Just in Please. some of the the way that you said it, this might be a controversial statement, but you oh, said okay. that the RBA let and the RBA sets, and then I, I think that the power of the RBA and central banks is overstated. They're obviously mm. fundamental, extremely powerful players, so they they have yep. a massive influence. And don't don't at me on Twitter to sort of you know say <laughs> say that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, that's obviously true. But the reason that the RBA gave up on on that particular target was because the bond traders forced them to. They they just overwhelmed them in terms of mm. they just they didn't have the cash to or they didn't want to take on the extra right. cash from Treasury to to actually fight that and even yeah. if they did that like you you run it forward logically you get to a point where you actually end up owning every single bond issue that's sort of out there <laughs> so so what really matters at the end of the the RBA can't control what two parties agree to in terms of if. Uh, party A wants to lend to Party B at a certain right. The, the bond yeah. market is the ultimate setter of of interest rates, 
And and I feel as though and you sort of said, oh, the RBA said that nothing's going to happen until 23, 24. Well, A, a I'd mm-hmm. say, and this isn't, this sounds really critical. It's not. It's just because, it's, it's like, you know, why can we land a man on the moon but we can't forecast the weather? Well, it's harder to forecast the weather. And, and forecasting mm-hmm. the weather is probably a lot easier than it is than for, forecasting inflation and interest rates four years out. It's really, you know, really, really, really mm-hmm. hard to do. But the historical record would show that actually these forecasts are usually not worth the paper they're printed on. So I get the intention, I get the argument, I get what they're sort of saying, but I feel as though the, the, the media and so many of us, and particularly people who should know better, sort of take this as gospel as if these mm. these these high priests of finance have this crystal ball that allows them. Why? <laughs> they're, they're, so, I mean, Alan Kohler on the news a couple of times has shown sort of like where the where the rates have been and what the current forecast is. And then he overlays that with where previous forecasts have been. <laughs> they're all over the shop. And yeah. so I, I feel as though I get what Philip Lowe is saying, but I would just sort of say he is he is he he is not the ultimate authority on this, or the ultimate the the, the controller of this. The, the, yeah, the bond talking. market will do what the bond market does, and if they feel as though they're not happy to to um, buy at certain yields, they won't. And and mm. and they and 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 it was them that forced the RBA's hand, not the other way around. So it's really interesting times here. Really interesting times. Yeah, I think I think, that's, I think that's all true. I mean, to your point, it, the RBA has the choice and chooses not to not to make the choice rather than because there are ways, there are ways they could have done exactly what they wanted to do. Should they have desperately felt so so keen for it? I think it's a combination of the bond market foreseeing what the RBA probably knows, and they just simply chose not to step in the way. I think that I think that's also probably pretty reasonable, right? Because mm-hmm. to your point, they have they have they have the largely infinite resource of treasury and yeah they might have ended up owning every bond and that's actually that would be completely fine as well if that's what they wanted to do um so i think i I don't think it's as extreme as you think although you may well be right um but you're definitely right the bond market was making a bet in one direction the rba had you know it's almost bluff and double bluff right the bond market was calling the rba's bluff and the rba could have done whatever it wanted to do to, to have an impact to some degree um or simply step away and I think it was probably, and this is this is where it does get a bit a bit challenging, right? Because three year bond rate is when? Well, it's the end of twenty twenty four. By which time the RBA has already said they're going to increase rates. Mm. So it's also a question of you know what do you want to do and by when? Um, and that I think that's the that's the hard part. But you're right; it's absolutely the bond market does its own thing in its own way. The RBA is a single player, a very big and influential player, but a single player nonetheless. Mate, let's um let's move across to inflation then, because I was sent a a tweet. I sent a tweet by I'm sure it's got this up this high by Blake who just says, hey, Scott, for the next macro conversation for the podcast, and he sent me a link to an article in news.com.au called How Iron Ore Commodity Crashes Will Result in Low Aussie Inflation. It's an article by a guy called David Llewellyn Smith, and he just basically writes about um, why he actually thinks that despite the current inflation pressures that we are seeing, and they're happening all over the place right now, um, breaking that back and saying what well, these things are, he, he believes, and the RBA kind of believes, well, pretty transitory. So this is kind of the flip side of the, the the general kind of view right now is, of course, there's inflation. We talk about wage inflation. Of course, there's going to be inflation. Of course, it's coming. And of course, it's going to force the RBA's hand. The RBA themselves have said, hey, this might be transitory. Uh, and and we, I, 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 I have a suspicion the RBA might be a little bit too optimistic there. But mm. there are plenty of other people doing the same thing. And that's why I think why Blake's in this say, hey, there's someone else saying the same kind of thing. Um, and this this is exactly this exactly that. You know, it, a quote from the article. Global inflation is being driven by a range of unsustainable factors, more related to economic reopening than sustained economic expansion. Supply-side inflation emanating from pumped-up American goods consumption will ease over the next year. China's China's crazy energy shortage is already over. Semiconductor shortages that are holding back car production are easing as we speak. 
Um, he's making he's making a point and a rel- relatively direct point that hey yeah there's inflation right now but it is absolutely transitory. When normal returns, we'll look back and go, huh, we thought that was going to be forever. It may not be, and if it's not, then the REA is exactly right to say, hey, we're not going to move variable rates until this time, maybe two years' time, maybe even three years' time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to know, isn't it? But I, I always – I think you can still make you, – you can still inform your, your thinking and your decisions – um, quite effectively, mm. not necessarily by predicting the outcome, but but just sort of going through a process of saying, okay, what if? So let's yeah, say right. let's say that view is right, okay, and it's like, oh, it turns out that it's not too much of a problem. <laughs> Inflation isn't going to long term sustainably increase, and therefore interest rates aren't. And I'm like, great, we're kind of back to where we are right now. Um, you know, there's no there's no advantage to that view. It's kind of keeps us where we we kind of are. But if it does happen, as we've talked about repeatedly, this it changes everything. So it's kind of like here we have this scenario which is diabolically hard to predict and the best brains in the world, you know, consistently get it wrong because, as I said, it's just really, really hard. But yeah. it's kind of like, you know, if, if, if A, then, okay, kind of where we are. If B, then, you know, duck, duck and cover it. That's not a – there's an asymmetry there that is not favourable to me. I don't like to make bets where it's like on one hand I'm sort of okay – and on the other hand, I'm just wiped out. Well, not wiped, wiped out is too hard a word, but, you know, I'm, I'm sailing into some really stiff winds. It's not – do you know what I mean? It, it just sort of means – then then you're sort yeah, of – Yeah, I do, for sure. I, I, I feel as though I don't need to know with 100% certainty what, what happens, but I do have to have a good understanding of, of what would happen if scenario A plays out or if scenario B plays out. And when you've sort of got this heads yeah. – I win a little bit and tails I lose a lot. That is not a that is not a game that I would want to play. And and I feel as though potentially a lot of people in the market are playing that kind of game, which is just sort of not much upside, but potentially a lot of downside. And maybe you can weight that probabilistically because you've got incredible insight and you feel very high conviction that, you know, scenario A is the more likely one. But geez, I hope you're right. Because if you're not, um, it's it's potentially gonna hurt. Do you not buy the uh, you know, if inflation does come and rates do go up, the sort of companies you like to invest in are smaller, fast-growing companies. Those future profits are going to be meaningfully dented, at least the present value of those, by that higher inflation, higher rates. Um, it, 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 even, even for those companies where inflation yeah. doesn't affect the business itself, it's got to – I mean, I've talked about it before, but it's got to affect the valuations. I'm, I'm not – again, I've said this before too, but I'm not as sanguine as you are in this case. I just I, – I, I, I don't know what else we'd necessarily do differently, but I would say – that you know, future profits are worth worth are always worth less than current profits, but that gap gets bigger the higher rates go. Right, that's kind of the point. Um, mm. And we've seen plenty of people rush back towards banks and miners and infrastructure companies because they're paying money out right now. The the companies that might possibly do something in the future, not only is cash going to be more expensive to get to fund that business, but the profits that are three, five, seven, ten years away. I mean, in, in one version of the future, that year ten profit could be what. A third, maybe forty percent less, worth less in present value terms. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hundred percent right, and you are a hundred percent right. Which is, which is why I mean, look, there's there's plenty of really exciting small cap growth companies that I'm not going anywhere near. That I actually think the business is wonderful, but they, but they're just priced for perfection and priced for all of these things. There, there are, and so that 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 is that is definitely factored into my thinking. And I would sort of argue that while I agree entirely with what you're saying. A lot of the companies I've got, A, have got pricing power, B, have got very strong balance sheets, um, and and C, they are they are not 
trading at the these very demanding multiples that that a lot of other growth ones. As I can continually say, what you know, valuation matters and it matters a lot. So you're right in in yeah, your does, analysis. And I factor in that to my analysis, um, but I still think if, if the earnings trajectory is is still strong enough, and the market hasn't put you know insanely high eighty times sales multiples or whatever it is on these companies, and this this is the beauty of the market. We sort of talk in general terms with the economy and the market and stuff, but there are always exceptions to the rule. And he who turns over the most rocks wins, he or she. And mm-hmm. and and that is the value. If you're going to be an individual stock picker, you've got to turn over a lot of rocks because you, you will find a lot yeah. of scenarios, as you've just painted out, which is 100% true. Um, but I, I, I would argue there there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, look at, look at the economy, right? Like, it, the, the, you know, what... What happened over the pandemic? It was horrible. Oh, well, mm. it was. It wasn't as bad as we we all thought it could have been, but it was. It was pretty bad overall, right? But we also know at the same time there were plenty of companies that tripled their profits and got JobKeeper, yeah. which is which is a separate topic altogether. <laughs> we're not going there today. We're, we're, we're not going to go there today. But but <laughs> but it's a it's a great case in point. And what yeah. the aggregate does is the aggregate or the average <laughs> hides a lot of nuance in there. And we've said it before, people people in hospitality, tourism, and other sectors, education mm. just absolutely wiped out. Other people, mm. it's just never you know online retailers, happy days. Things have never Through been better. Roof. So yeah. so yeah. so everything so. What am I saying? Everything that you're saying is is valid, but but there are there are there are plenty of exceptions to the rule that that still make still make these bets, for want of a better term, worthwhile. Yep, that's true. That's true. Mate, um, let's move to speaking of bets. Iron ore. Have you seen the iron ore price recently? Yes, oh, well, I was, yeah. I was going. I was going. You haven't because you haven't got the internet today. Uh, iron <laughs> ore is back below well, overnight. At least was was below hundred dollars a ton. For mm-hmm. the first time in a while, who would have um, who would have guessed that, mate? That's well, that's. <laughs> well, who saw that coming? If, if you force us, if you force me to mention it, you and I, um, <laughs> and, and it's like I think I think we've probably done half a victory lap before. You know, the price was two hundred and was it? Did it get to two fifty? It was certainly two twenty something at one point. Way, uh, way might up have been, there. It might have been at two fifty. So it's now fallen by the best part of sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, now who knows where it goes from here? It, I mean, that's. I hope that's a lesson in itself, right? For people who are listening. Um, the, the the cyclical things tend not to stop tend not tend to not stop being cyclical, and so yeah. when 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 the iron ore price went from whatever it went to two hundred and twenty two hundred fifty bucks whatever it was a ton, the chance that it wasn't going to fall again was really 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 small, and yet it's one of those things that you know it's it, hope springs eternal right, and and we don't like to we all like to think the upside is our own good work and the downside is someone else's fault, and so at two twenty five you look at that going but what if it goes higher I don't want to miss that gain. And that was true at 150, at 180, at 200. At, you know, so I don't know what the right point was, but certainly over 200 bucks, it was like, guys, I've said, I said, I use the phrase, I use it regularly. They were software margins. You don't make yeah. software margins. You know, I don't mind, you just don't, right? And so no. it was it was always probable, not not definite, but again, investing is a, a business of probabilities, right? Because nothing's definite in investing. Um, the, you know, so literally it's a case of, well, at that price, was it more likely that you're going to do well or not? And we said at the time, we, think, we didn't think that was likely to be the case and it wasn't. Can I can I spring something into there, mate? Mm-hmm. For, Fortescue is now down at fourteen dollars a share. Yeah. Bell Bell Potter put out a, rec, a a note yesterday. Apparently, I read on uh, on the news saying that they reckon Fortescue will pay two dollars twenty five in dividends in mm. the current financial year. Now that would be a fifteen percent yield in a single year. What price? I I, I can I, can I I've, I've never owned an iron ore miner in my life. I am more than passingly interested. In whether or not Fortescue represents value right now, because if it's back to thirty something dollars at some point, it's paid a two dollar dividend on the way. 
I'm not convinced there's not going to be some opportunity in iron ore miners at some point at some price. Oh, am, yeah. I, am I nuts? Have I, have I completely lost religion or is, or, or is there something to some of this? Because I'm getting tempted to at least get a little bit more interested and in, in really dig into what's going on. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's really dangerous to be too ideological in investing. And there'll be things that can be sort of generally and on average true, but at the same time, I mean, as you, to your point, I mean, you could have been, I know you won't, but you could have been, you know, uh, sounding the alarm bell at, at 120 on the iron ore price. Yeah, exactly. this, is, this is insane. And then it doubled, right? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, a lot of people yeah. made a lot of money on the way up. So, mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but, but I think for me, that's the time, right? That is the time is when it kind of gets to a point. It's like, wow, it's sort of all of these things are still true in terms of the characteristics of that in- industry. But then mm. the price, th- th- it's that it's that coin flip again. It's sort of like, well, again, it's still very hard to predict this. But if it's like it, I, now it's a case of he- heads, I win potentially a lot. Tails, I don't yeah. lose too much. And when when these well, things are bombed thinking, out, mate. that's that's where you go, right? So yeah, yeah. and and there, Fortescue's actually, I'm I'm really warming to Twiggy. I got to say, I, I think a, a lot of the stuff he's, I think he's quite forward thinking. This green hydrogen mm. stuff that he's doing is is kind of interesting. I think he sees opportunity there. He's not. He's not doing it for a, a, a philanthropic kind of reasons, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but, but, yeah, but, uh, yeah I, I agree. And there's been a bit of chatter on Strawman about it, actually. People making some really sensible points on, on why it mm. might actually be worth a, a, a closer look. One thing you've got to remember, though, with those yields is just to – so when, when – I don't know, Woolies sort of, you look at its yield, you can be pretty certain that that's actually a very accurate reflection of what what the yield will be longer term in, or in the sense mm. that the dividends will tend to be pretty stable and generally rise over time. We've seen with right. iron ore miners before is that sometimes you get these wonderfully big payout special dividend because they're just at a period of making a bunch of money, but the next year the dividend is halved. So, the, so if you're buying today... Uh, well, let's say you're buying X dividend, so you're buying after, mm-hmm. you know, after, without the entitlement to the next upcoming dividend. Maybe it's wrong to look at some of those yields and think, oh, that's what I'm going to get as a regular ongoing. Yeah. Probably yeah. not. But, and the market is inefficient. We know that the market can do yeah. silly things at times. The market isn't that silly for one of the largest companies on the spot where a lot of very smart people are looking at that and going, no, thanks, I don't want a 15% ongoing yield. So, so I think that's that's probably the giveaway there is that while that's super attractive and yes, I, I'm actually I agree with you. I think it's it's getting mm. to an interesting point. I think it's also wrong to assume that if you buy Fortescue metal shares, you're going to get a 15% yield going forward or whatever the dollar value is of that. Oh, you won't get it going forward. You won't yeah. get it forward. The, you know the only thing. So I kind of agree with you almost entirely, except we have to be careful as investors. I'm not saying you're doing this. But I'll say about me. We have to be careful as investors not to only assume the market's wrong on the downside. So yes, you know, yeah. we, we we say, oh, the market's not so silly to X. It's like, well, the market will still have to pay twenty six dollars a share for Fortescue shares only in July. <laughs> you know, yes, and so it's yeah. gone from twenty six dollars to fourteen. We say the market's not so silly to pay. Oh, hang on, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, and and yeah. again, not 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 that, you, not that I disagree with you. you know, I don't. We absolutely you, you won't get a fifteen percent ongoing dividend at all. That no. that two dollars twenty five is because of the windfall profits yes. they're going to make from the iron ore price that is going down. So by definition, the falling share price absolutely reflects the falling iron ore price. The future profits will be lower than past profits because of exactly that reason. So there's mm. there's, there's no there's no free lunch here. Uh, yeah. But my, my thought was, you know, hey, you buy shares for fourteen twenty. Let's let's, I'm, I'm, let's assume that you get two dollars twenty of dividends just to make my life easier. So effectively, the shares will fall to twelve dollars when the dividends paid out, but you get the cash. So then mm. you got a twelve dollar Fortescue share, and you go, well, what are the odds that what are the odds that the iron ore prices go up at some future point, and or Twiggy makes a finds a way to make some more money? I, I don't know. I, 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 I said I've never bought an iron ore miner. I kind of can't imagine myself doing it, but 
Part of me is really, really interested. Maybe this is the um, uh, maybe this is the very reason you shouldn't do it because I'm thinking about it. Maybe that's the <laughs> uh, that's the capitulation trade, right? But I don't know, mate. I, I just look at that and go, oh, there's a, there's a price. There's a price at which Fortescue shares start to become attractive. If the iron ore price is under 100 bucks and the Fortescue share price is down as well, you kind of look at that and go, yeah, you know what? At some point, you know, that's that's not that's not miles away from reasonable value. As yeah. you say, with Twiggy at the helm and everything they're doing there, I don't know. I, I, I said, I'm not buying yet. Um, maybe I never will. I, I, it might be one of those things I just never kind of, you know, speaking of not being ideological, I kind of have never owned one. I don't like their core business generally of digging holes and then filling it back in with, <laughs> with the stuff that's left. Um, mm. It's not generally a great business, but I don't know, mate. I, 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 can't put, I can't put a zero chance on me owning Fortescue shares at some point next year, for example. I just, I just yeah. can't, which is weird to say. Yeah, as I say, you've, you've got to be flexible in your thinking. I don't think you can ever, never say never type thing. Um, yeah. Same with the banks, right? Like I've sort of put the boot into the banks recently. And yeah. I, but I, but then, you know, it, it sounds um, like, I'm contra- like a contradiction. But I mean, I think they're actually great businesses. They're super mm. strong businesses. And there's, they're actually operating in an environment where they're too, well, they're too big to fail. So even if something goes horribly wrong, they'll get bailed out, you know, for the most part. So, but... But you've you've got to think of the price you're paying. Next next major mm. recession, don't be surprised if I back the truck up on CBA or something like that because yeah, right, right. because everyone oh my god what a terrible year they've had to put all these provisions oh, it's so super that's the time when there's blood yeah. on the streets but when when if you're getting involved or thinking of getting involved in a cyclical industry <laughs> nothing wrong with that absolutely nothing mm. wrong with that mm. not not mm. very very few industries are perfectly acyclical but mm. but the, the time to buy is when there is blood on the streets and we're not only earning are down, but the enthusiasm for the market, the sentiment in the market is down. So you get lower earnings on lower multiples and you'll never get the exact bottom and don't even try timing it. But yeah, but if you feel yeah. as though, well, I mean, by definition, I just said it's cyclical. So that, that would infer that at some point the cycle will move in the other direction and you'll get an expansion of earnings and you'll get an expansion in terms of market sentiment and multiples. And that's where that's where incredible gains um, are, are really made. So I, I think the thinking is right. And I think you, you, any investor is wrong to say, I would never do this because well, maybe it makes a lot of sense to avoid that under certain situations, but there comes a point where it's like, you know, I would buy, there is some really god awful, I'd buy AMP if you offered it to me for one cent a share. Like, <laughs> come on, right? I think it's yeah. probably the worst blue chip stock ever to have, to have um, you know, uh, blemished <laughs> the ASX. It must have uh, it's it is awful, but it's not worth zero, you know. And and yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think we need to be flexible enough in our thinking to, to look at those things. It's it's very simply, it's like trying to buy a dollar coin for less than a dollar. And if you can, you know, it might be a, a pretty tarnished, dented coin, but it's still a dollar. And if you can get it for fifty mm-hmm. cents, uh, you should do that. That's 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 what we're trying to do as investors, right? So here's my question for you. You've taken me beautifully. Lovely tangent. A nice segue. I'm not even going to mention it, so it'll seem so seamless. <laughs> Westpac was out this week. Mm. And the results were pretty good. They doubled their profit. Now, part of that was the right back of those provisions you talked about just before. Yep. Uh, so that was good. Their profit was up. The underlying cash prop was also up. That was pretty good. Credit growth was about 3%. That was moderately okay. Shares fell 6% despite a $3.5 billion buyback. (laughs) And I'm going to say to you, look, you know, you want to watch the market a little bit. We're not necessarily prognosticators or day traders or or, or guessers. Um, But if you'd have told me those numbers without the share price in between, I would have said, oh, shares are probably up a couple of percent. Mm. It fell really meaningfully. Basically, investors concerned about the level of credit growth, whether or not Westpac can take enough costs out 
to deliver on its profit forecast moving forward. This feels like the crunch that you and I have been expecting for a couple of years is finally here, but with a 6% fall in, in share price, and, you know, we, we, when, when do we hit that point of, if not peak pessimism, certainly some degree of pessimism, the shares are now cheaper than they've been well, almost all year, literally almost all year. It's about February of this year. Mm. Um, uh, when, when do we get to the point of saying, you know what, we feel like we're kind of there. Um, I'm just dragging the chart back a little bit. I mean, Westpac was much higher for all of 2017, all of 2018, most of 2019. It's only really been a higher, you know, lower than that through 2020, through the recovery from, from the COVID crash. Is Westpac getting to that point of <laughs> possibly we're talking about buying or iron ore miners? Are we now in the point of possibly putting banks in the buy zone? Uh, it needs to go a bit further for me um, personally, but I, I will say, just uh, speaking of victory laps, I mean, you just, what you've just mentioned there is exactly the reason why I've, uh, I can hold two opposing thoughts in my head about this Westpac being a perfectly decent business, but me not wanting mm. to go with it. Barge, well, it's been, a, <laughs> it's been a really ordinary investment over the last few years. In fact, longer than that, you know, and yeah, yeah. it just has. I'm not saying it's a terrible investment. You haven't lost money. You've gotten a few dividends, but it's pretty ordinary when you look at what the the benchmark has done uh, overall yeah. and what what gains yeah. have been made. Um, so, so a that's that's sort of a good example of what we've been talking about. But b, mm. yeah, these the I, I think it's obviously by definition the lower it gets, the more interesting it gets. But but mm. the market mm. a is not entirely silly in worrying about this kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. And yeah. if it, and and that's just on the hint of some of these worries coming true. If if some of them do, then then I think there's potentially a lot a lot further to to, to go. And for me, it's just it's not as though these things are sitting within five percent of you know at five percent above. It's like uh, ridiculously expensive. It drops five percent. It becomes a really attractive, super cheap share. It's it, it, you know no one's value estimate and forecast are that accurate to to be operating with that precision. So for me, the answer is no. It needs it needs to go a lot further, and it could go a lot further. Um, but I will say also too, you mentioned the buyback and I, I just think that was a probably given, given my view on the value and the price, I think that was a very silly move and a, and a silly way to return money to shareholders. In fact, we actually saw in the AFR few, the investment banks coming out sort of saying, no, nah, that's, that's a really dumb use of capital. Um, in fact, it wasn't one of the other other banks raising money recently. You, the the really smart thing to do here is raise money when your share price is super high and above your your estimate what the what the board and management think is a is a fair price, and then you buy back when it's really cheap. And if you and if if that's either of those sort of aren't the case and you want to return money to shareholders, cash to shareholders, pay them a dividend or pay them a special dividend. That that is a far more shareholder friendly, business friendly way of going about it. So, um, but look, I haven't I haven't done I haven't done the deep dive and. Analysis and valuation on Westpac for a bit to 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 speak with any great authority at what point it is, but I I, I instinctively think it, it does need to go a lot further for me personally, anyway. Uh, yeah, look, I can't disagree with much of that, but I I don't know. I, I but say you're going to anyway. <laughs> well, no, just that just that you know it's a, a PE. Let me have a look. So dividend yield now five point two percent, fully franked, fully franked. It's a PE of thirteen point nine. The share price is lower than it's been, if you exclude the COVID crash, lower than it's been since mid-2012. So all of those things are true. I think we had a similar conversation last week. All those things are true, and the performance over the last 10 years has been ordinary. Really, not, not terrible, but really, really ordinary. That's almost like, you know, if, if you're a contrarian investor or you're looking at that and going, so hang on, that, that's been the case. If this is a dying business, a la AMP, then no price is cheap enough. And if it's a $10 share price down from $20 in five years' time, then we were right to continue to avoid it. But... 
you know, at some point that 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 weak share price performance in particular, not not so much the business performance, that weak share price performance is the share price coming back from unrealistic to more realistic. Mm. At some point, unless unless business has been deteriorating at the same pace, that brings the share price back towards better better value. I won't say, I won't say great value or even good value, but back to better value, better value yeah. almost by oh. definition, right? And so at some yeah, point, yeah. that track record of share price performance is is a can be either. Uh, you know, a, an extrapolation opportunity like A&B, hey, stay the hell away, or maybe even a contrarian indicator, which is the, the, the price has come back. The P is contracted to 14 times. We've been saying forever, you don't pay 20 times for a bank or 18 times for a bank or 16 times for a bank. It's under 14. I don't know, mate. Again, I'm not buying Westpac, but I, I, I can think of worse ideas than, than buying, as you say, one of the big four banks at 14 times earning with a 5.2% fully frank yield, which is what, seven point something grossed up. Uh, I don't know. I, I, again, no, I'm, you're I'm right. Buying, you think, but I'm, no, 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 I'm not you, miles you think- away. You're thinking on the right time, and you're right. I mean, it, get, it definitely gets close. I mean, one thing to watch, if, of course, is when you're talking about PEs, is you, you probably need a, a more forward-looking PE. So it seems really yeah. low on. But 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 the again, I'm not I'm not predicting anything. But just as a hypothetical here, let's let's say we do get into mm. a bit of trouble. Rates go up. Housing market gets under a little bit of pressure. They're struggling to write new loans. They're getting more defaults on loans. So earnings could drop. I mean, look at look at what earnings did in in the GFC. Right? They they came down. So if, if earn, like, just to keep the math simple, if earnings drop in half, that PE is all of a sudden. And thirty, and it's yes, not fifteen anymore. Um, so, you, so, so you do have to have uh, a view on that. But I can't, I can't fault fault the reasoning there. I would say, I would say, anyone mm. buying uh, Westpac today, um, I would probably say on a normalised long term basis, it's probably not unreasonable to expect a yield of starting yield of around five percent. Let's let's call it seven with some franking credits, and that you should mm-hmm. absolutely include that. And maybe a bit of uh, you know low system growth on top of that. You're probably getting something that's going to average eight, nine sort of percent total return on average over time. That's not a terrible investment. That's not a terrible investment uh, at all. Um, uh, it's just not enough for me. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> I want more. I want more. I feel as though for, for, for me to buy that, I have to sell something else. And if I'm selling something else, it needs to have a poorer return outlook. And I feel as though where it is at the moment, um, that that's that's. That's not the case. So, but yes, you, you, here's the irony though of the markets is that as prices fall, people become more likely to sell and as prices mm. rise, people become more likely to buy, which is mm. just insane when you think about it. So what you're <laughs> espousing, espousing is, is, is 100% right. Generally, prices are going up and up. That, that's when Joe Average says, oh, I'm going to buy some shares in this. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, when it's going down, that's when you should be more. Provided that there's no long-term structural kind of issues where this mm. is this is in mm. real trouble, and this is genuinely sort of the 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 the, the cyclicality of, of the sector, then yeah. And I would say this as well, just while we're talking about bank shares, I'm so frustrated to be polite about it on people who'll say, oh, yeah, that's true, but I bought them at $5, so it doesn't matter. Um, no, it doesn't matter. The, the, the price is the price is the price right now, and that's how much you've got. And even if you bought it at a much lower price, you're going to potentially, you know, from going, what would you say, 25 back to 14? You lost yep, money. You you really lost money. You can convince yourself that, yes, when it comes to calculating your capital gains, that it's still okay, and it is, but but you always have to look forward because what really matters is where to from here. So whether you're buying or thinking of buying or whether you're holding, it's the same kind of thing, right? 
Do you agree? Tax, <laughs> yeah, tax no, no, issues true. a little bit to ones and that you shouldn't yeah, dismiss yeah, them yeah. entirely. But even yeah, even then, true. that gets to a point where there's enough of a dis- distinction where you can even with even with um, yeah. capital gains yeah. benefits and the rest of it, it's still kind of like, is this really the best place for my money? No, that's true. That's true. I, I, I think, as I said, the, the only the only question, and you're right about you know the future earnings that are important. The future share price is important too. I just I, I guess I'm just looking at that going. You know what? There was that. There was a time and a place for almost every investment. As you say, even AMP, there's a price for potentially as long as it goes hopelessly totally broke, which is always possible. But um, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I just I don't know. I, I think in that in that kind of circumstance, if you're getting a you know a, a five plus percent yield, and yeah, you know, if the if the shares do keep falling, of course you're going to lose more money than you're going to make back in dividends. And so no one wants to buy a business with a falling share price. That would be silly. Now that's been the case for Westpac over the past most of the past ten years, which has been a reasonably crappy time to to own shares. That's been you know while the market's grown meaningfully, Westpac's gone backwards. So it's even that opportunity cost you're missing as well. So oh, it's, it's huge. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity missing. As you say, even if you beat the market, there's even more opportunity cost on top of that. Uh, but I don't, I don't know, mate. I just I think I think I'm just I probably I'm contrarian by nature a lot of the time, and I'm just looking at some of those and thinking, you know, at what point do you hit peak pessimism for Westpac? Is it 14 times earning a five percent yield? Maybe that's not peak pessimism. You have to choose the bottom, as you say. You'll never pick the absolute bottom. But I don't know. At some point, you know, uh, if it if it can deliver some of those cost outs, if it can, you know, what what would it have to grow at to be to justify a P of 14, a couple of percent a year, maybe? Um, mm. If I can get you know seven percent with the with the with the, the tax benefits, I don't need much in the way of capital gains to be market matching. And then if I'm lucky and it does manage to grow, then I get a market beating return for I won't say no risk or low risk, but you know a moderate amount of of risk compared to some other businesses with a whole lot less potential concern. But I could be wrong, and again, no, I'm not, no, not buying no, it yet. No, I'm just, the, the just thing, putting on the, the agenda. The thinking is right, and 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 me personally, it's just that it needs to get. I, I'd actually probably would. For me, it's when we're in a recession or something like that. It doesn't have to be the yeah. Great Depression or anything super scary, but it's yeah. just sort of like the market's sort of worrying about sort of looking forward. But things really, I mean, we can prognosticate about the future and where it's headed. But where we sit right now, actually, the economy is in pretty decent shape. Um, you know, as you said, they just reported some really strong numbers. So it's kind of like, yeah, I get the worry, but if if any of any of those worries materialize, there's a long way to go. So, and I I would need I would need it to fall a bit a bit more because of that. and and for your for the reason yeah. you stated, opportunity cost. It's 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 a it's a real cost. Uh, yeah, better options, mate. I am horribly disappointed that we're going to miss out on talking about Bitcoin. It's on my agenda, and we're not going to quite get there. We've always I, got the, we've got the mailbag episode. There's, there's a whole other hour. I, I can wax lyrical if you like. Well, the worst part about that is not only was CBA in the news about Bitcoin this week, but we did have someone who will remain nameless, but I will name on Sunday, who asked me for God knows what reason <laughs> to ask to ask who asked me to ask you about your investment case for Bitcoin. Which honestly. I did ask him if he was related or if he hated me. Apparently, neither of those things is true. Uh, but but I, apparently, I have to ask you about your Bitcoin thesis. So, can you do that yep. for me on Sunday? Oh, you, you know I can, my friend. <laughs> you know I can. In that case, mate, we will have to do that. Hey, um, in the meantime, Phil, if you do want to hear from us outside these podcasts, God knows why you'd want to, but on the off chance you do, uh, or more importantly, if you want to send us a question or leave us a comment, jump on some of our socials. Uh, you can get Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon on Twitter. And also at Strawman Investor, his two accounts. You can get me or the Motley Fool on Twitter and Insta. The handles are the same, so I'll give them to you together. At TMF Scott P on Twitter or Insta or at the Motley Fool AU. You can get the Motley Fool on Facebook, 
facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or me, facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. We're on YouTube. We've got the Good Oil podcast with your friend of mine, Kylie Merritt, mate, was the most recent guest. Uh, I've, I've, fun. I've actually downloaded I haven't listened to it yet, but I've downloaded oh. it, but I'm, I'm keen. Yeah. I've, I've you downloaded and listened to all, don't you? I've, I've downloaded them all. I haven't, you know, here's the, <laughs> oh. I'm sure, I'm oh. sure. This, Oh. The intention is there. This is the prop. This is we are, and I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree. We are so <laughs> spoilt for choice when it, there are so many great podcasts. I just there's not enough Don't, hours in oh, the day. Oh, hang on. There's so, so not 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 even not enough time. There's actually better podcasts. You've, you've no, no, no. I'm just saying there's better. I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying it's, <laughs> there's a, there's a very very big backlog of podcasts for me to, to get through, and that is one of them. And I will get I will get to it. Your <laughs> idea. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, we. <laughs> Unbelievable! That, that didn't come out the way I intended it to, but I was I was, uh, I was well, trying to I was trying to be positive. Story of our lives, mate. <laughs> we you come back and talk to me about Bitcoin on Sunday. You know it. You know it. <laughs> All right. Until then, fools. Full on. Cheers. The motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.